Cindy, you know, was the person who influenced me to Christ. And we've been married for nearly 11 years. And uh, we had trouble conceiving. And all of a sudden, on a Friday, we had a Daisy Home Test Kit. Mm -hmm. And we got a blue dot. Let me, ask, let me ask you this, because I know one of the big things, and you've even written a book about it, so in two phases, uh, there's so much about your life. You've had uh, huge successes, and you've also had huge suffering. you got a lot of experiences that some people have had one or two. You've had the touch of all of it. Probably helps you better to minister, but also it's stuff that nobody would choose to go through. Tell me about this story there with you and Cindy being the love of your life, and then all of a sudden the, the loss there, and then the the recoup there and what, what took place? Because I know there's some listeners that, that get that. Cindy, you know, was the person who influenced me to Christ. I always knew she was different in high school. I, I didn't really understand why. And then I grew to understand why. And uh, we had trouble conceiving. And we'd been married for nearly 11 years. Oh. And she had never conceived. And, um, and then all of a sudden, on a Friday, I'm, you know, on a Friday, we had a Daisy home test kit. Mm -hmm. And we got a blue dot and we were just like, don't get too excited. I mean, you know, cause you, all you've had is false test after false test. And so we made an appointment with our doctor, Dr. Newsom on Monday. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and we went in to see him and he did the test and he said, you're pregnant. And my wife, Cindy was a redhead and Dr. Newsom was a redhead. And so he looked at me and goes, the first child goes to me if it's a redhead. And I went, Absolutely. I can only deal with one. And yeah. so, you know, that, that'll be good. And so uh, we had a great pregnancy. Our doctor was wonderful. I uh, couldn't ask for better. And we were at Piedmont Hospital in Atlanta and the nine months just flew by and didn't have any problems at all. And, um, uh, and, and so Cindy uh, was going over a little bit in her time when the baby was due. And some people who will hear this broadcast will remember where they were that night because the night before they're going to induce labor the next day, we're at Pima Hospital and we lie on the bed together and we watch the last episode of MASH. Oh, That's yep. the last thing we were doing as a married couple. We were watching MASH. And in those days, they wouldn't let you stay in the hospital. You know, hey, they came in finally, hey, you got to go home and everything. So I said, okay, I'll be back up here right in early in the morning. So, you know, I woke up before the crack of dawn and uh, I'm driving up to Piedmont Hospital and there's this little park I've just always loved. It's called Collier Road Park. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you know, a little stop off place here. It's right before you get to the hospital. And I pulled in there that morning and let the sunlight come all the way up. Mm -hmm. And I was just sitting there thanking God, you know, for this wow. day. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, th this is the day. And Cindy called me at home, and, and right before I'd left, she said, my water broke on its own. So now I'm going, okay, maybe they're not going to have to induce labor. This is good. And they said, you know, you can come in about 7 a.m. or whatever. So yeah. I'm sitting here in the park watching the sun come up, and I'm thanking God for this day. And I go up to be my hospital and go in, get suited up and everything. I'm back in labor and delivery. And the day was going just fine, and Cindy wanted me right there with her the whole time. Family was out in the waiting room, you know. In those days, they didn't let a lot of people or anybody really go back. So they're all out there. And um, then the doctors came in and gave Cindy, long about 3 o'clock, I guess, 3.30, they gave her an epidural. Mm -hmm. And when they gave her the epidural and everything, the nurse smiled at us and said, we ought to have a baby in the next couple of hours. And she turned around and walked out of the room. When she did, Cindy looked at me and went, whew, for the first time today, I'm feeling better. 
Hmm. You know, the epidural is taking yeah. away. And uh, I said, well, let's pray and thank God for that. And we prayed together. And when we finished praying, I kissed her on the lips. And she looked up at me. And she's holding this little pink bunny rabbit. She was pulling for a little girl, you know. And uh, she's holding this pink bunny rabbit. She said, uh, go out there in the waiting room and tell everybody I'm doing great. I said, really? And she goes, because you wanted me there the whole time. Yeah. And she goes, yeah, I'll go out there and tell everybody I'm doing great. So okay. And so I'm walking out the door, and I look back. And she's got that pink bunny rabbit. And I give her a thumbs up. She gives me a thumbs up. And uh, I walk down the hall, and I'm, I'm meeting with everybody, and I'm saying, hey, everything's going great. Two yeah. more hours. I go to go back to a room, and I'm walking in this hallway by myself, and they got an intercom, and I'm walking toward labor and delivery, and I hear a voice on the intercom. It wasn't panicked or anything. It just said, Ward 100 to labor and deliver. Hmm. And I, Bill, I could never tell you how I knew in a million years. Wow. But I knew that Cindy was in trouble. I knew that Cindy was dying. Oh. I started running and hit that second set of doors. As I did, a nurse was standing in Cindy's doorway facing outward, and she was shouting at the nurse's station saying, my God, get somebody here. I don't know what's wrong here. I don't know what's wrong. And, of course, I rushed around. She goes back in the room, and Cindy's in the middle then of cardiac arrest brought on by something extraordinarily rare. And if you're watching this and, you got a daughter or a granddaughter or a wife that's pregnant. Please understand this happens in one in one in one half million births. One. Right. And she had suffered this amniotic embolism. And um, all of a sudden that, that room is just like a, a sea of white coats and crash carts and all these people are rushing in. And people are kind of grabbing me saying, sir, you need to leave. I was wearing a navy blue blazer just like I'm wearing today. Right. They said, sir, you need to live. And I, I leave. I kept saying, no, you don't understand that. That's that's my wife. That, that's my wife. And so I, I just kept moving away from them till finally I'm over in a corner. And, and I'm just kind of wedged in that corner. And I'm just saying, help her, help her. And they're all focused on that. And there's this one doctor. And this one doctor, literally, at a point, he gets up on the bed, straddling her body. And he's taking his fist and he's like pounding in, into her chest just oh. pounding. and finally i said sir would you stop beating on her she's not here hmm. <clears throat> and he he turns around and he looks at me and, and he had asked earlier I, I guess he had said where's her family and they told me and and he had turned and he pointed his finger it rotated and he pointed his finger like this and he goes son do we save your wife or do we save your baby and hmm. i said save my wife yeah. Now here, I was the one saying, sir, would you stop beating on her? I mean, hmm. a lot of time has now gone by. Yeah. And he goes, yes, sir, I will. And so that day, Cindy and the baby both died. Wow. If um, if I had chosen to go the other direction, they could have saved the baby, I found out later. I just didn't, you know. Right. You operate with what you know at that moment, right? That's right. And uh, so I did end up losing her and the baby. I'm asked the question a lot. Um, did you have the baby where you knew if it was a boy or girl. No, for some reason, I think it was a boy for some reason, um, mm -hmm. you know, in heaven, I'll know because the <laughs> Bible says if there, if there is a body, there is a soul. Yeah. And so we, we definitely, you know, had, um, uh, a baby. And, yeah. uh, so that day, um, you know, my world, uh, took that hit, uh, wow. that terrible hit of, you know, how are you going to live? 
How are you going to get through this time? And you know, Bill, something that I say a lot today, and thankfully I did at the time, was when you're in the middle of that crisis, live your story then the way you want to tell the story later without having to change a thing. Wow. Yeah. You know, ask yourself, someday when I'm telling this story, yeah. how do I want to tell this story? Yeah. What do I want to be able to say? Yeah. And, and there's going to be times that things happen that you're not going to understand why they happen. That's why God gives us Isaiah 55, 8. My ways are not your ways. And yeah. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are higher than yours. And, and, and God had a reason and God had a purpose yeah. in it. I'll never know all of it till I get to heaven. Right. But you know, Bill, I wouldn't change a thing. Yeah. Wow. For two reasons. One, I can't change a thing. <laughs> so, you know, that's called acceptance and the ability to move on. Right. And number two, that would mean that I was never married to Robin and we've now been married for 38 years. Yeah. Yeah. And that means there wouldn't be an Abigail right. in our life and there wouldn't be a Daniel in our life and yeah. there wouldn't be an Addison, my granddaughter in my life. Yep. And I wouldn't take anything yeah. for any of them. Yeah. And so, you know, it's okay when you don't understand it's okay when you get upset with God. He, he you know, he can handle yeah. your question. Yeah. yeah. And it's a process that you have to work through. Yeah. And so I wanted to take my grief and not waste it. Yeah. You yeah. know, um, yeah. how can what I went through possibly help someone else? Yeah. And so a wonderful friend named Margot Dawkins mm -hmm. called me and, um, Margo and I've known each other forever. And she called me and she said, uh, and she knows me well. She goes, hey, I, I know you're not going to journal. I wished I was one of those. I want a mole skin. And so I'm just not good at it. Right? I lose the mole skin. Yeah. And then I can't find the pen. So it sounds like a good idea, but then you don't. Oh, it sounds fabulous. And you look intelligent doing that. Yeah. And I need help I can get. But she said, uh, I've got something for you. I'm sending you. And what she sent me, and, and it was a long time ago, she sent me a micro cassette recorder. And uh -huh. she sent me all of these blank tapes. Right. And she said, you're not going to write it, but you're a speaker. And you'll talk about it. Mm -hmm. And so I took that little recorder and our mutual buddy, Jay Strack, mm -hmm. uh, first time that I left and went away, Jay, Jay helped to do her funeral along with Richard Hogue and Right. Uh, Larry Wynn and a guy named Ron Long. And mm -hmm. there's just some amazing friends who, who were there for me. But when I went away, I took that micro cassette mm -hmm. and I sat down and I was in the hotel a lot and I would just talk. Here's mm -hmm. how I'm feeling right now. I'm ticked. Yeah. You know, I didn't yeah. use the word ticked. Right. Uh, you know, I'm this and I'm that. And, mm -hmm. I, and I'm confused, God. I'm, I'm confused yeah. about why in the oh, and when she finally got pregnant out of the blue, all we did was give praise to you. Yeah. And now this has happened. You know, yeah. you love God for who He is and not what He does or allows. Mm. Yeah. And I was trying to love God for what He was giving. Yeah. That's that right. Moment. So I did all these cassettes and did them over months. I put them in a shoebox, I put them up on a shelf in my closet left them there. 
couple of years later, longer than that, maybe four years later, I'm preaching on the day that the shuttle blew up. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm scheduled to preach that night in Noonan, Georgia. Abigail is baby and, you know, 18 months old or whatever. I'm holding her on my lap. I'm sitting there at dinner and I look at Robin and go, I've never not wanted to go speak so much in my life. Mm -hmm. I was watching my president, Ronald Reagan. I don't care who's president. They're my president. Joe Biden's my president right now. Yeah. And Ronald Reagan was my president then. Mm -hmm. And I heard him, you know, they've slipped the surly bonds of earth, you know, and they've broken through. And my heart's just crushed. I'm thinking about those families. I've been where they are. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and uh, Robin looked at me and said, uh, and I said, I, I just, I, go, I was supposed to preach on evangelism. Mm -hmm. I said, I just don't feel it. She goes, why don't you tell your story then? Mm -hmm. And I went, well, you know, I had at your church mm -hmm. and at very few places. Yes. Right after it, you mm -hmm. know, even for years. Yeah. And she goes, um, why don't you go tell your story? And I went, you know what? Everybody needs it. You're right. Yeah. So I went to First Baptist Newton that night and I told my story. And afterwards, uh, this uh, beautiful lady walked up um, named Martha Mahan. Mm -hmm. She had gorgeous white hair. Gotcha. And she walked up and she said, um, you need to write a book. Mm -hmm. And I laughed and I said, ma'am, I'm a speaker, not a writer. She said, that's odd. I'm a writer, not a speaker. And I said, well, it sounds like we make a great team. Yeah. And she goes, hey, my name's Martha Mahan. My husband's with the Billy Graham Association, Grover Mahan. And he does crusades for Dr. Graham. And I write, you know, for uh, his newspaper that he does. And I do the things up at the Cove and all of these other things, do the writer workshops. Right. And I said, can I, can I call you? And she said, and she was actually... Uh, the pastor's executive assistant, uh, Gene Tyre, First Baptist Noonan. I don't think Gene's ever forgiven me because I hired Martha away and, uh, and asked Martha to come work with me, and she did. And um, she said, um, I, I, this, this book is going to really make a difference in people's lives. She said, did, did you do any journaling? Uh, said, no, but I've got a lot of cassette tapes. <laughs> And I said, the only thing is, you have to understand, this was days after my wife had died that wow. I started doing this. So some of them's raw. Some mm -hmm. of them I'm going to you know, start sobbing. Yeah. Some of them I'm not going to use the best language. That's still the issue in my life that I've had to overcome, right? And uh, Martha took those tapes, and Martha's the one that listened. Wow. And she was able to extract exactly how I was I was confused. Wow. I was hurt. Mm -hmm. I was mm, all these things, yeah. but at the same time I'm going, I live your story now. Yeah. The way you want to tell it later. And, yeah. and Bill, a troubled faith is better than no faith at all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's My true. faith was troubled. So yeah. so here's the dilemma that we often face. So here I am in this situation and I'm upset with God. Am I going to make him my enemy when I need him to be my friend more than I've ever needed him? Hmm. And it comes back to that word trust. Yeah, it does. You know? Yeah. Will you trust me? And and you were, you know, you were in the fire, you were in the valley. But but that's the place where you put your faith. I I uh I, I let me let me ask you this. You wrote a book 
through that, they, they published a book, and the book's title was Treasures from the Dark. Isaiah 45, 3. Yep. yep. And so if, okay, suppose somebody want to buy that book, they can get it on Amazon or. Yeah, uh, get on Amazon, or you could uh, write to me if y'all give, you know, my information. Uh, I updated it. That It was published by Thomas Nelson originally. Right. And my only problem with it is they wanted to make it an autobiography. I, I felt like I was way too young. I was in my mid thirties. That happened to me in my early thirties. It probably, the book came out probably five years after Cindy's death, mm -hmm. something like that. And they made it a biography and I just felt like that's not really what I wanted, but you know, right. how it is with the publisher. That's right. You, they, you know, you're tougher than I am. You, you, you negotiate better. I don't know. They, so, tore out, they, they tore out a section with you. They tore out, <laughs> they tore out my best baptism illustration. They, so, you know, I get it. So I'm going to come back and write a second one. Now so I got the book. I got the rights back on okay. the book, you know, after oh. a decade or more. Yeah. And then I got with a buddy of mine named Pat Springle, uh, mm -hmm. who's a terrific writer. And Pat is a psychologist by background. Okay. We did a 12-step grief recovery section. Mm -hmm. And uh, you guys have used it at Cascade yeah. before. Yeah. Uh, First Baptist Woodstock has been using that as their key book now for close to 25 years, I guess. How about that. How and about uh, I usually go up about once every year or other every other year and i'll meet with their different grief recovery groups and uh -huh. you know talk to them and they'll ask me different questions from the book yeah. but you know like if uh, you were a pastor of a church you could take that book and you could take those those 12 weeks and easily do you know something as a matter of fact i would encourage pastors you know, with the pandemic and a lot of things still shut down and still wondering, you know, what else is going to happen. That'd be a fabulous book for you to do a Zoom call, a Zoom grief recovery group. It would. Utilize that book. Um, it would be phenomenal. Yeah, buddy, that's one thing I know you about. God's blessed you greatly and you've done well. I want to thank you for your time today. Oh, I, man, this is fun. Well, so I, I, my buddy and I just love catching up with Let's you. Let's stay yeah. in touch. All right. All right. Talk all to right. you, boss. All right. Bye bye. bye. Thank you so much for watching this episode of the BP Leadership Podcast. Now, if you enjoyed this episode and all of our other ones, we need you to do a few things for us. We need you to subscribe to the channel if you have not already. We need you to like these episodes, comment on these episodes, and share them with a friend. We want the world to see the incredible content that Bill Purpose is consistently pushing out right here on this platform. BP Leadership Podcast. So make sure you do that if you haven't subscribed already, whether that's on YouTube or all of our awesome audio platforms that we're listed on so that everybody can hear this. So make sure you like, you comment, you subscribe, and you share the BP Leadership Podcast.